you so much, guys. Well, happy Resurrection Day. It is Resurrection Sunday. Happy Easter. And, um, you know, I have to say, technically, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday because Jesus is risen from the dead. Um, so I expect every single one of you back next week and the week after that as much as you can to gather to worship for the resurrection. Okay, but we really do set aside this Sunday in particular to celebrate and to worship God for what he has done in Christ in raising Jesus from the dead. It really is special. You can, you can feel and, and sense the energy in here that we are really excited about today and the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. He really did walk out of the grave. And this reality changes everything. Really, all of history hinges upon this moment, Jesus being raised from the dead. And it's a good exercise for us every once in a while to go back and to visit and to make sure that we understand sort of the historical reality and the evidence behind the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And uh, earlier this week, we had a, a gathering on Tuesday in all staff chapel, um, and uh, we had the opportunity for Lee Strobel of uh, Case of Christ fame, author um, and uh, a Christian um, writer who, who is big on uh, the evidences of the, the resurrection. He came and gave us and, and spoke about the case for Easter. And I thought I would share some of these things with you um, so that if you came in this morning, maybe somebody invited you or you're watching online, you just stumbled across it, you know, there's more church stuff on your timeline than normal, and you, and you clicked it or, or you're here um, and you're maybe skeptical about the resurrection. Like, did Jesus really raise from the dead? Or maybe you have somebody in your life that you know is like, I'm, I'm not really sure, uh, you know, that, that sounds good, I, I, I like some of the things that Jesus said, but that he really raised from the dead, because again, all of history hinges upon this moment. So is it true? Well, I'm going to give you, um, this is what Lee Strobel said, this is his case for Easter, just really quick, and he's a good Baptist, so they all start with E. There are four words that start with E, and the first is this, execution. This is the case for Easter. This is the historical reality. The first E, execution. Jesus really was crucified. He died on the cross. And there's really no historical doubt that this happened. And nobody in the history of the Roman Empire ever survived a crucifixion. Jesus died on that cross. And there's really no doubt about it. Atheist scholars agree that there is no historical doubt that Jesus died on the cross. We won't get into the gruesome reality of how somebody um, dies as a result of crucifixion, but we'll suffice it to say that Jesus really did die on the cross. That is true. Jesus was dead. So the first E, execution. The second, early, early. We have early, early reports that Jesus rose from the dead. You know, there's this creed that Paul uh, gives us in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 3 and on, um, that say, um, let me see if I can get to it here. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then he appeared to, to all of these people. In this little creed that we have here, it, it was very early. Um, some scholars say that this creed, what the church started saying, what they started repeating to one another, and what Paul said to the Corinthians here, can be traced back to weeks after the resurrection. 
And for something that happened 2,000 years ago, for us to have within weeks this testimony of the resurrection is absolutely unheard of. It's a historical reality that we have the earliest of evidence that Jesus really did rise from the dead. The third E is this, empty, empty. You know what this means. There's an empty tomb. There's no doubt about this. And of course, there are all kinds of, um, you know, skeptical people that, that wanted to explain where the body was. But again, all of these things, all of these realities of people trying to explain where the body is, is a fact to try to rationalize that the body's not there. <laughs> There's no doubt about it, that there is an empty tomb. And the last E is this, eyewitnesses. Jesus appeared, we have in record of the New Testament, he appeared to more than 515 people. And within the New Testament, they're named, like some of them are still alive. You can go ask them if you want. <laughs> Additionally, there are no fewer than nine other early sources that corroborate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I say all this to say that it is a historical reality. There are evidences and it is a, it is a matter of historical fact that cannot be denied that Jesus really did raise from the dead. He really did. But all of this goes to show that it is a historical reality. But the question is this, what does it mean for you and I today? What does it mean for us today that Jesus rose from the dead? What does that mean? That's what we're going to look at today and find in a story about resurrection in John 11. Miss Edith read it for us already, and it is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Jesus taught us something about resurrection, his own resurrection, but about you and I and why it is so important for us today, what it means for us that Jesus really did raise from the dead. And here's what it means for us, and this is the point of this sermon, that Jesus is calling you out of the grave. You, individually, Jesus is calling you out of the grave. This is what the resurrection of Jesus means for you and I today. Jesus is calling you out of the grave. Look back at verses 23 through 27 with me. Let's read it again. 23 through 27. Jesus said to her, this is Jesus having a conversation with Martha. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. The first truth we see from this is that Jesus doesn't want you to die. <laughs> Jesus doesn't want you to die. And here's what I mean. Lazarus is dead. He's been in the grave four days. Later on, uh, if you get the King James Version, it says he stinketh. The, the, there's going to be an odor because he has been dead for four days. Lazarus is dead. And here's Jesus having a conversation with Martha. His um, the, the, the sister of this man that is dead. And earlier in, in the chapter, I think it's verse four, it said that, that Jesus loved this family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, these siblings. Lazarus is dead. He's having a conversation with Martha. And um, Jesus says that, um, he, he, he says something to Martha. He says, your brother will rise again someday. 
your brother will rise again. And Martha had an understanding of what that meant. She took it as a consoling statement, you know. I I think it would be somebody like if somebody you love died and somebody said they're in a better place now, you know. It it would be a nice thing to say and 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 hopefully a true thing to say. And so Martha takes this as a nice consoling statement and, and she believed rightly. She said, I know he will rise again on the last day. I know he'll rise again at the resurrection of the last day. And this was common teaching. The Pharisees taught that there would be a resurrection of the dead at the last day. And this was true. So she had, a, she had a right understanding of what was going to happen someday. It was true. There will be a resurrection of the last day. But Jesus is taking it deeper. He, he, he's going to another level. He, he's not just talking about what's going to happen in the future. He makes a statement and then he poses a question. And this statement is important for you and I to wrestle with today. And this question is of utmost importance for you and I to answer today. Jesus declared, I am the resurrection and the life. And he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? not a more important question for you and I to answer about Jesus. And this statement where Jesus says, I am the resurrection of the life, Jesus is saying, this is a way of Jesus saying, I am God. When he uses the phrase, I am, it was Jesus identifying himself with the same God that revealed himself to Exodus, I mean to Moses in Exodus 3, where he says, I am who I am. So this is Jesus saying, I am God. And I have the power to raise people from the dead now. I, have, I am God and I have the power to raise people, to give people life now. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, it's not, it, yes, you're right. It, there is going to be a resurrection on the last day. People are going to rise. There will be a judgment on the last day. But he's saying, I, I want you to believe that I have the power to give life now. Do you believe this? That's what he's saying to Martha. It's something deeper. I'm talking about right now. I have the power, Jesus says, to raise people from the grave right now. I have the power to give people life now and for all eternity. And this is where we see Jesus Jesus doesn't want you to die. He wants you to understand something about him because he goes on, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And here again, Jesus wants to take Martha deeper. He wants to take you and I deeper this morning. He doesn't just want us to have a generalized view of what's going to happen someday. You know, this is how many people go about it. They might, they might profess Christ. Um, they might say that they're a Christian, but it's sort of like, yeah, no, I'm gonna, I'll work it out one day. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm going to go to heaven someday. That's, you know, that's what it's about. I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I think he rose from the dead. So we'll, we'll kind of figure that out later. And Martha ha- had this idea. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. It won't do for you to have sort of a, a general idea of what's going to happen in the future. Jesus is saying, I want you to personally trust me right now. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. So it won't, it won't do for us... Um, it won't do for us to have a generalized belief and an abstract belief in God and what he's going to do. That won't do. 
Jesus wants to move us to a personal um, belief and trust in him who is the resurrection and the life. You know, it came out this last week that now, for the first time ever, less than 50% of Americans um, are a member of a local church. Less than 50% of Americans now would identify and say they belong to a local church. And this includes synagogues, mosques, like any local body. So this isn't just talking about Christians. Um, less than 50%. So it's interesting. Um, you know, this speaks to many problems about our discipleship and the importance of belonging to a local church, our need for a community, our need for one another to follow Jesus, right, within the church specifically. We're not getting into that. But, it, but it's interesting just to note that, that our culture is, is changing. It's shifting a little bit. Less than 50% of people belong to a local church. But even still, other studies would show that people are more spiritual than ever before. Right? People uh, still have beliefs about God. They still have, or gods, right? They still believe about something about the afterlife. You know, there's sort of this general view that people have that are kind of, I'm spiritual but not religious. You know, yeah, Jesus, he's cool, whatever. They have these generalized views, these abstract views of Jesus and, and what's going to happen someday. A majority of people still believe that there's some sort of higher power, you know, and, and people believe this. It's ingrained in us to believe in a higher power, and it's ingrained in us to believe that there is something after life. And, and I see a parallel here to what Jesus is saying to Martha in our current context, in our current culture. It's like Jesus is saying, yeah, it's all fine and good that you believe in God, and it's all fine and good that you believe in the afterlife. Great. But again, I'm asking you personally to trust me. That's what Jesus is saying. It won't do. It won't do for us to have some sort of generalized belief in the afterlife. It won't do to say, yeah, I believe in God. That won't do. Jesus wants to move you to a personal belief and trust in him, the only source of life. So what is your answer to the question? Because Jesus teaches us here, if you believe in him, in some sense, you will never die. Jesus doesn't want you to die. He wants to move you to a personal trust and belief in him so that you will never die. If you live and believe in Jesus, you will never die. Now, your body might die, but Jesus is saying you, you will never taste death because he overcame death. He is the resurrection and the life. So what's your answer to the question? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection of life and whoever believes in him shall never die? Do you believe this? If your answer is yes, if you answer yes, that you do believe that Jesus is the resurrection and life and if you believe in him, you will never die. If your answer is yes, then what is about to follow in the story of Lazarus is actually your story. It becomes a spiritual parable, a spiritual parable for us. That if you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, then the story of what happens to Lazarus being called out of the grave that we're going to keep looking for is actually what has happened to us in our hearts. This can be a spiritual parable for you if you believe personally, individually in Jesus. What happens to Lazarus is true of us. If you believe that Jesus is God, that he lived a perfect life, was crucified for your sin and raised from the dead, defeating sin and death. If you believe this, then the story of Lazarus being called out of the grave is your story. Jesus doesn't want you to die outside of him. 
He is calling you out of the grave today. Believe in him and receive life. So let's fast forward then to verses 32 through 40. 32 through 40. We've got to skip around just a little bit. But we're going to go back to verses 32 through 40. And let's, let's look at this story. Um, now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not the man who opened the eyes of the blind have also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes. Sorry, I'm not going to go on there. So here's the truth that we see in verses 32 through 40 then. The truth that we see is that Jesus loves you but is grieved by your sin. Jesus loves you, but is grieved by your sin. You know, Martha, so this is an encounter with Mary. Martha, the other sister, had already said, Lord, if you'd not have been there, your brother would have died. And then Mary comes and she says the same thing. And we already saw in verse five that, um, that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He, he, he loved this family. He loved them. And now Jesus is looking around he sees Mary weeping. He sees the Jews who have come to comfort the family mourning and, and weeping as well. He's troubled. And then in verse 33, it says that he was deeply moved. Deeply moved. And if you have an ESV Bible, the little footnote there says indignant, which means he's, he, he's angry. So Jesus is, is deeply moved with anger. And then it says he's greatly troubled. And then it goes on to say in everybody's favorite memory verse, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. You know, you could say you memorized a verse of the Bible today. Jesus wept. You, everybody's got it. John eleven thirty five. 35. So what, but what is happening here that Jesus is angry and he's greatly troubled and he's weeping? What, what would make the Son of God, fully God, fully man, um, angry and troubled and weep? What's going on here? Over what? Well, there are a few different options that, um, that people would suggest. One is that Jesus is grieved over sin and death and the havoc and the chaos that sin and death cause. And I think this is absolutely true. That, that Jesus is, is grieved and he's angry because of the effects of sin that he sees in this world. And, and you and I can relate with this as well. We can, we can chalk up all the sin, all the death, all the pain, all the suffering that you and I go through in this life. We can chalk it up to the effects of sin in this world. And Jesus is upset about it. He's grieved over the effects of the sin in this world. Jesus is witnessing the pain that sin causes. And then in addition, some were doubting. You know, they said, could not the man that healed the man born blind have caused this man from dying? What's going on? So his motives are being questioned as well. He's angry. 
So that there's that, that Jesus is grieved and he's angry over the effects of sin and what sin does in this world. And I think that is absolutely true. And then the other option is this, that um, Jesus is weeping because he loved Lazarus and his sisters. He loved this family. And so to see them in tears and, and weeping moves him to tears as well. And I think both of these things are true. That Jesus is angry and he hates sin. But also Jesus can sympathize with you and I when we go through difficult times, when we lose people that we love, when we go through pain and sickness. We, we know that Jesus can feel that as well because he loved these people and it hurt him to see them hurting. So I think actually both things are true. That, that Jesus is, is angry and grieved over the effects of sin and what sin has done. But he's also saddened to see people that he loves sad. So we have a, we ha- this, this is the, the kindness and, and the love of Jesus. But, but the first reality I think is, is more important for us to pull out. Um, that, that sin leads to death. That, that's the effects of sin. Death causes pain and suffering. And Jesus is angry and grieved over this. But Jesus does something about it. He's not going to leave Mary and Martha um, in their weeping. He's not going to leave them in their pain, in their suffering. And the same is true um, for you and I. Jesus is going to do something about their pain and their grief. And the same is true for us. Jesus isn't going to leave us um, wallowing in in our pain and in our suffering and in our sin. He's going to do something about it and he's going to pull us out of it. Remember, this is a spiritual parable. And the reality is that our greatest need in life, our greatest need is a spiritual need, and our greatest need is to have our sins forgiven. You know, if I polled all of you, what is your greatest need? You know, some people say, I really need more money, right? Amen. Bring it on. Um, You know, I really need uh, a vacation. (laughs) I don't know. Um, I really need to be healed of this cancer, whatever it is, whatever, whatever people's greatest needs are, they're just a, a small shadow of really our greatest need of having our sins forgiven. That's our biggest need, to have our sins forgiven, to be made right with God again because sin separates us from God. You know, the Bible says that the wages of sin, Romans six twenty three, is death. And we've just seen that death causes pain and, and, and havoc and wreaks chaos on our life. But Jesus does something about it. This is why Jesus went to the cross to do something about sin. To pay for our sin and to overcome sin and death to set us free from it. And if you do not believe in Jesus this morning, you, you are in shackles to sin. You know, you might think that uh, true freedom is really being able to do whatever you want. No, that's, that's slavery to sin. That's ultimately going to lead to death. True freedom is only found in Christ. Where he releases you from your chains to sin. And all of a sudden you have a, a new authority and a, and a new um, master that you want to obey and to follow. Because it's only in him that is life. Jesus doesn't want you to continue to live in the shackles of sin because it only causes problems and pain and despair. I mean, 
Has your life ever been like amazing for a, a, a long stretch of years when you've been disobedient to God? Maybe, maybe it can be okay for a little bit, you know? When you're living in sin, things that displease God, anything that goes against God's word, that's sin, right? Um, even in our actions, our motivations, right? Any sinful actions. If you, if you have tried to live in sin for an extended period of time, how has that gone for you? Maybe we can get away with it for some amount of time, but that's actually the allure of sin, is that it looks really good. It looks like it can provide satisfaction and happiness and life, but in reality, causes death and leads to pain and causes problems in our life. But Jesus has done something about it because he loves you and is grieved over your sin. He's not going to let you stay in it. He's paid for it, and now he wants you to come out of it. Now we get to the last truth, and it's a reminder of the point of the sermon. Verses 43 and 44 is where we find it. But this is the reality that Jesus is calling you out of the grave. You, individually, personally, Jesus is calling your name to come out of the grave. Look at verses 43 and 44 again with me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. I mean, can you imagine the scene? And I wouldn't be a, I wouldn't be a good preacher if I didn't make this point, that if Jesus hadn't specified the name Lazarus, then all of the dead would have come out. But he's making a point. He's calling specifically Lazarus. This individual, come out. Come out of the grave. Rise up. Live. Um, and this, again, remember, if you believe these things, if you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and that if you believe in him, you will never die, remember, this is a spiritual parable. This is your spiritual reality. If Jesus has called your name to come out of the grave. Though your sin has caused you death spiritually. Actually, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, would say that you were born dead in your sins and trespasses. Born dead. You are spiritually dead. And what we need most is to have our sins forgiven. What we need most is for Jesus to call our name. Come out of the grave. Have your sins forgiven. And he calls you out of the grave into new life. And for any and all this morning who would hear that call, who would respond to their name being called to come out of the grave of their spiritual death, there is life to be found. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And the very same God who spoke the whole world into existence, he spoke all of creation, is the very same God who is now calling your name and, and, and making you a new creation. You see that? This is God, God spoke the world into existence. The Bible says that Jesus is the word. So Jesus is the, the way, the means by which the whole world was created. And now he is creating new life by speaking another word. Calling your name to come out of the grave. New life. 
Behold, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, new life. The old is gone, the new has come. So we're going to conclude with this then. We're going to worship in just a second, but I have to go back to the question that Jesus asked before. Remember the question, do you believe this? You know, sometimes in the Bible, um, the, you, the English language is a little weird. Sometimes when we say you, we mean plural. Except in Texas, you know, we say y'all. It would be better if there was a Texas version of the Bible where all of the second person plural were, instead of saying you, it said y'all. So we would know when it's talking about a group. But this one, this one, do you believe this? It's not plural. It's, it's singular. It's asking personally, individually, every single one of you, do you believe this? Do you believe in Jesus, that he is the resurrection and the life, and there is life only to be found in him? And not just life someday, not just life at the end of time where we'll rise from the dead, but life to be had now. Do you believe this? If the answer is no, you have no chance of life. Simple as that. You, you, are, you continue on in, in your dead state. You're spiritually dead and you can continue on that way if your answer is no. Um, you know, Emily Claire and I have been doing some projects around the house. Hashtag shiplap. Um, and in our garage, we have, uh, we have some tools. We have a nice, like a miter saw, you know, that can, it's really big kind of table, boom, you can cut the things. Um, and if you looked at the saw, it, it, you, would, you would see it and be like, wow, that thing is, that, that, is, that can get the job done. That can do what it's supposed to do. Um, it looks like it's got it all together. That, I mean, that can do the job that you need it to do. It's going to be effective. Except if it's not plugged into the power, you know? And if it's, if it's, not, if it's not plugged in, then it looks fine. It looks like it's alive. It looks like it can get the job done, but it's not going to do anything. It can't, it can't do what it's supposed to do. It can't work like it's supposed to work. And, and that's what it's like if your answer is no to this question. If your answer, do you believe this is no, then you're dead. It looks like, I mean, it might look like you've got it all together. You might have, you know, you might have put on a tie today or something. Um, you might look like it, but there's really no life within you. And you really can't do what you were created to do. You can't be who you were created to be if you're not plugged into the source of life. And that source of life is only Jesus. And it's by answering the question, do you believe this? Yes. And then, when, when your answer is yes, now you have resurrection power living within you. Now you can be who God created you to be. Now you can be uh, the useful tool in the hands of God um, to live a life that's pleasing to him, that's live, that's to live a life that's glorifying to him, to live a life uh, that doesn't go on sinning, but is now released from the shackles of sin to live in freedom. But you have to answer yes. Do you believe this? Um, if you believe this, by your faith, you are what is called united to Jesus. You are united to him by faith. And that's where this illustration of being plugged in comes from, when you're united to Jesus. And now, by faith, simply by responding, yes, I believe this, trusting in Jesus alone to save, you're united to Jesus by faith. And what that means is now, 
simply by receiving, simply by trust, simply by faith. That's it, no works. Um, Now, what is true of Jesus is true of you. And what this means is um, now when God the Father looks at you, he no longer sees your sinful past. He no longer sees all the ways that you've screwed up and continue to screw up, right? But instead, he sees the perfect life of Jesus credited to your account. Simply by saying, yes, I believe this. That's it. No works. And it means, if you're united to Jesus, it means that the resurrection power is also united to you. That the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you and is then empowering you to live a life that is pleasing and glorifying to God. To live a life of joyful obedience to the Father. Not to live in sin anymore, but to walk in freedom. And it's amazing. All by responding to Jesus, calling your name to come out of the grave. Believing, trusting in him. Do you believe this? Do you believe Jesus is the resurrection of the life? Remember, started off, it's a historical fact, but what does it mean? It means we can have our sins forgiven, our greatest need. It means you don't have to taste death. In fact, Jesus doesn't want you to die. Jesus loves you, but he's grieved by your sin. And he doesn't want you to continue to live in the death and chaos that sin brings, which is why he went to the cross, which is why he rose from the grave to set you free from sin and death. And finally and ultimately, Jesus is calling you out of the grave today. Take off your grave clothes and live like you are alive. Like your sins are forgiven because you have been given a new life by grace through faith. And now you can live in confidence and boldness knowing you will never taste death. Because any who believes in him shall never die. And you can experience the presence of Jesus forever. So um, this morning, maybe for you, you're like, yes, that is my story, amen, and you can leave here encouraged knowing that you can walk in freedom today. That can be all of us. But if there's anybody that previous to this moment, your answer was like, no, I don't think I believe this. What that means is that you trust it, that you have put all of your faith in it. You've rested yourself upon Jesus. And if that's not you, I pray that today it would be as if you can hear Jesus calling your name to come out of the grave, to live in freedom, to walk in newness of life. And we're going to praise God in just a second through song. Um, We're going to praise him for what he has done. And um, it's going to be a glorious time. But also it's going to be an opportunity for you to respond. Um. We do this most weeks, and it's not a big deal, uh, you know, except it is a big deal. But what I mean by that is uh, if you come down and ask for a prayer, it doesn't mean like, oh, he wasn't saved before, you know, or something like that. Um, it just says like, hey, I'm, I'm responding with my life, and uh, there's some things going on. I, I want to repent of sin. There's things in my life, or I, something's going on. I just need prayer. I just need some a brother or sister to advocate for me, um, right? Or it, it could be that, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to trust Jesus. So we, we just kind of open it up. We'll have some people around the room, and you can feel free when we stand up to slip out and, and go spend some time in prayer, and, uh, and that would be great. But all of us, 
uh, are going to respond and sing because of the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? We hope you are encouraged and challenged by what you heard today. If you'd like more information about Champion Forest Baptist Church, our service times, or how you can get connected, visit us at championforest.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day, and God bless.